Bibles, please go uh, to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, we have the scripture on the screen. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 11, and we're going to go all the way through uh, verse 17. It says this. We've read the scripture throughout the series. Put on the full armor of God so that um, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So many of you guys know we are on a series called Spiritual Warfare, and we're talking about this whole idea that, that there, is, there is the battles that we face that, are, that we sometimes think, think that they're in the flesh. But the, re the reality of everything, and the Apostle Paul is talking about this, that there's so much more going on. There's so much more going on than we can perceive with our five senses. And the problem is, sometimes we think that the battles that we are facing, since we think that they're human battles, we're taking up human weapons. And we're not able to make any progress because the essence of the battle that we're facing, the Apostle Paul talks about this, is spiritual. And so we've got spiritual weapons that are available to us. And Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about this whole idea of the armor of God. So these are the weapons that we have available. And so today we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. You guys ready? Yeah. This is a good one. This is a really, really good one. So I'm going to start with this. And this is going to get a little personal because I'm going to share a little bit about my own story. I don't like talking about myself, but I felt that I had to share this today. And so um, have you ever had a crisis of faith? Have you ever doubted your faith? Have you ever come to a moment in your life where you're like, I don't even know if I believe this anymore? Have you ever had that? Yeah. Honestly, I think that having a crisis of faith is something that is not only normal, but at the same time necessary. I think we should all come a moment in our lives where we check our faith and like, why do I actually believe this? Do I believe this because I have an inherited faith from my parents and we've always come to church and we've always believed? Or is this actually my own faith? One of the prayers that I have for, for our youth uh, in our congregation is that they won't have an inherited faith, that they won't believe because the parents believed. Like my, one of my prayers for the youth is that, is that they will have a personal revelation of Jesus. Like they will know why they believe. And so I think a crisis of faith is kind of a, a normal thing, you know. In marriage, too, it can happen. You know, we've been married 20 years, my wife and I, and we've had good moments, we've had bad moments, and we've had just regular moments. We're, we have things that we've worked through, and we have things that we are working through. And there have been moments in our relationship where we're, we're just like face-to-face -face with an issue, and we're like, do we even want to keep doing this? And you may say, wow, like... Pastors, you know, like we're going through, like, hey, the honest truth is it, in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, there are moments when you just really have to revisit, like, why are we doing this? And then the result of that, when you get through that and you revisit, you revisit what the scripture says about marriage, you revisit why you decide to be together, you look back at that moment and you realize that now you're stronger than ever. I think the same is truth with crises of faith. 
I had a crisis of faith when I was 19 years old. And the reason why I had a crisis of faith is because I was dating this girl, and I kept break, I would break up with her, and then she'd come crawling back, and she'd call on the phone, and she'd say, oh, I'm so sorry. And there was this pattern. You're laughing because you know it's not that true. See, I'm telling my side of the story. And so we'd have these issues, and she'd call, she would call back, and then one of the times I broke up with her, and she didn't call back. And I, and I had so, such a big ego that I'm not, I'm not calling her. And then a whole week went by, and I was literally on my knees praying before God, if, you, if there is a God, please have her call on the phone. She never called back. And so have you ever been grateful for an unanswered prayer? Yes, that was one of those, by the way. And so, so it, it, made me, it made me doubt the, that God was actually involved in my life. Why? Because he didn't do what I asked him to do. Now, crisis of faith, crisis of faith, right? So the, the crisis of faith in a Christian life, I believe, is important because you, you revisit why you believe what you believe. But my, so that was one aspect of, the, of a crisis of faith that I had that was related to God not intervening in my favor, but then I realized that when you get through and you start to mature a little bit more as a Christian, you realize that when you pray, you're not asking God to do something, and then when he answers you, then you can verify that God is actually on your side. You realize that even when God doesn't answer your prayers, you look back and you realize that the actual promise wasn't resolution, but was his presence. So he was always there. And, that, and when you have Christ, you have everything. Okay? So that's one aspect of a crisis of faith that I had. But I had another crisis of faith that was much deeper. And it didn't have to do with whether or not God was going to intervene in my favor. It had to do with my salvation. Like, like I, I, I had a crisis of, like, I didn't know, I didn't actually know if I was saved. I walked my, Christ, my early Christian life in a state of fear. I was always scared because I did not know whether or not I was saved or I wasn't saved. And I grew up with this definition of, of salvation. If you weren't saved, it meant that you were going to spend eternity boiling in some sort of lake of fire. Okay, have you ever burned your finger? Okay, so it's hurt, ow, ow, Right? Okay, your whole body having that burning feeling, not for a moment, but for eternity. That was my idea of, of not being saved. And I was constantly scared about that. By the way, would you guys be interested if we did a whole series on heaven, hell, and the fate, biblically, the fate of every human? Be interesting, right? Like we can discover what the Bible says actually says what the Bible doesn't say, what we have superimposed onto the Bible as a result of tradition and some myths that are out there. Be interesting, right? Hope I don't get fired for this one. I'm joking. I'm joking. Everything that we'll look at is going to be in the scripture. Um, and so that was my fear. I was constantly scared because my idea was that I was in danger constant of being tormented forever inside a lake of fire that was, that was boiling my body. And so my entire focus, my entire focus of my Christian life was how to avoid hell. That was my whole focus. When I was a, when I was a kid, we watched a movie in school. This was in the 80s. It was called, I think it was called Left Behind. I'm not sure, but it was an old version of the Left Behind 
movie. And I was, after that movie, I was so scared. Everyone that watched the, that movie, all of my friends that watched the movie, everyone accepted Jesus. And the reason why they accepted Jesus is because they were scared and they, they wanted to avoid hell. And so I was so scared. I was terrified and I was confused. I was terrified because who would want to spend eternity in the lake of fire forever? Or even for one second, right? And I was confused because I didn't know whether I was in or I was out. So I walked away with one goal. My goal was not going to hell. That was my goal. And, and, and the problem was that I walked away from watching this movie and this understanding of, of heaven and hell with a very narrow perception of Jesus. A very narrow perception of Jesus. Jesus, to me, was my ticket out of hell. Jesus was my ticket out of, out of hell. But, but, but I didn't even understand how, how this worked exactly. I didn't understand what, what it meant to have Jesus my ticket. Like, I understood he was my ticket out of hell, right? But then I didn't even understand how, how this would work. Because I would hear people say, you don't have to do, listen to this. People would tell me, you don't have to do anything because Jesus did it all. All you have to do, it, wait, what? You don't have to do anything because Jesus did it all. All you have to do is, wait, we just said Jesus did it all, but I have to do something. Yes, you have to, you have to confess. Okay, but no, 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 but before you confess, you, you have to believe. Oh, okay, but, but you also have to get baptized. Oh, okay, but before you get baptized, you have to do a course. Oh, okay. Oh, you also have to take communion. Oh, okay. Oh, but before you take communion, you have to be a member. Oh, okay. So that's very different than you don't have to do anything, right? Because these are all verbs. And that, that whole thing started messing with my head. And so what I did was I did it all. I did the whole thing. And once I was done doing all those things, there would always seem to be a little bit more. Come to church, serve, all great things, give Evangelist, evangelize, be better, try harder. And in my mind, I was like, I thought Jesus did it all. I thought he said, it is finished. Yes, but still. And so I walked my Christian life with this constant feeling of not being enough. Like there was more left to do. And I, I would walk around life with the assumption that my salvation was constantly hanging by a thread. Like if you mess up, man, you're out. You're out. And so I would walk around thinking sometimes I would have good days and sometimes I would have bad days. Like a good Christian day was, yeah, I read my Bible today. I made my bed. God's probably smiling from heaven. The next day I forgot to make my bed. I didn't even pray the whole day. God's mad at me. So I, where am I going? Like if Jesus came in this moment, like where would I go? I did not know the answer to that question. In fact, I remember this. It was kind of disturbing because I would think about when I was little, and I would hear like a trumpet sound, and I'm like, that's Jesus. He's coming back. <laughs> but it wasn't a good feeling. I was scared. I, didn't, I wasn't like, oh, great, Jesus is coming back. I was scared on the inside because I did not know where I was going to go. And my tactic was to try and compensate somehow, prayer, forgiveness, but I didn't know if I prayed enough. Did I, did I pray sincerely enough? I would think about all the sins that I committed, and I thought maybe there's a sin that I didn't ask for forgiveness for. What happens if Jesus comes back and I forgot to? Like, I was so scared all the time. And if someone asked me, 
If I was saved, I would say yes. But on the inside, I, I, I knew that I wasn't because I had messed up and I had had bad thoughts and I assumed that I was the only one. The problem was that I would connect my salvation with my performance. So I would read the Bible, but did I read enough? Come to church. Did I come to church enough? Give, serve? Like it was never quite enough and so my Christian life was all about performance, my performance for God. But here's the thing. My biggest problem wasn't that I was on a performance treadmill. It wasn't that I was doubting my salvation. It wasn't that I saw Jesus as my ticket to get out of hell. It wasn't that I was constantly scared. The biggest problem is that if I was honest with myself, I didn't love Jesus. I didn't love him. I didn't love him because, and I, I was thinking about it, and why, why didn't I not love him? Because you can't love someone that you're scared of. You can't love someone who, who is always keeping count of your wrongs and wants to zap you. You can't, you can't love someone who is waiting for you to mess up to throw you into a lake of fire forever. How do you love someone like that? And later I discovered the reality of all this. I just didn't love Jesus. And so I decided to walk away from all of it. I got tired. I walked away from the whole thing. Um... I put my faith on hold. This is when I was like in my, tw- my early 20s. And um, when I put everything on hold, my whole faith on hold, you know, I, I, I basically started doing whatever I felt like doing. Whatever I felt like doing, I went and I did that. And I had a, I had a tremendous sense of freedom. You know, I felt, I felt free. And of course I felt free because no more church, no more praying, no more, no more reading the Bible. I didn't feel any religious pressure on me. So I felt free. I felt free. And so I traded legalism for licentiousness. Does that make sense? So on the one side, I was, I was, I was, it was legalism, but then I'm like, I'm going to go the complete other directions. And I spent about five years just, you know, doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, but then I realized that slowly, slowly but surely, I started becoming enslaved again. With my habits, with my addiction, with my patterns, with my behaviors, all these things. And I ended up face-to-face with my reality. I was enslaved to sin. And here's what I learned, that sin is just as enslaving as religion. You see, we all have the same goal. Everyone, every single human has the same goal. We all are seeking shalom, right? We've talked about that word before, shalom. It's the sense of balance. It's the sense of peace. It's the sense of joy, the sense of completeness. Like, we're all seeking that. We're all seeking it from different ways. I didn't find it in the religious life. I didn't find it. And I did not find it in the sinful life. I, I couldn't find it. It's almost like that scene in the Simpsons movie. Have you ever seen the Simpsons movie? I've seen it so many times. So there's the bar here. There's the end of, it's the end of the world. There's the bar here and there's a church here, right? Everyone's scared. And so the people from the church run to the bar and the people from the bar run to the church. So they just swap, Right? And so what happened in my whole life was that I, I, I literally just walked, I sort of ran away from the church and went to the bar, right? But then I didn't go back into the church. I didn't go back into the religious life. And I came, I don't know if I've shared this before, I think I have, but I came face to face with my reality when I was 25 years old, I got a DUI and I was in a jail cell. So I met... I met Jesus. I didn't meet Jesus in a church. 
I didn't meet Jesus on a retreat. I didn't meet Jesus reading the Bible. I didn't meet Jesus while I was praying. I didn't. I was alone. This was year 2000. And Jesus showed up for me when I was at my worst. He showed up for me. When I was at my worst, Jesus gave me his best. And I would love to tell you this morning that I, the reason why I'm here is because I never let go of Jesus. That would be a lie. The reality is that, that he never let go of me. In my worst moment, he never let go of me. And I, I understood for the first time in that moment that all the things that I had heard about grace were actually true. You know, um, I understood the gospel for the first time. I, I, underst- I understood that I was saved. Um, I believed it. And it wasn't by doing any of the things that I thought before would bring me salvation. None of them. You see, I thought that all these things that I had to do were the things that would bring me salvation, all these activities that I had to do. But in that moment, I knew that I was forgiven, not because of what I'd done or because of what I failed to do, but because of what Jesus had done for me. And Jesus gave me faith in that moment to to believe. And then some of these verses started becoming real to me. The verses that I had heard my whole life that started becoming real to me. These, these verses came, it's like they were in black and white, and all of a sudden they came into color. Galatians 2.21 says this. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You see, I realized that I had undermined minded the death of Jesus by constantly exhausting myself on the performance treadmill. And so why did Jesus even die if I was con- constantly doing all these things? Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. That one always gets me. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't waiting for me to get my life together. While I was sinning, that that sacrifice was effective. He, didn't, he wasn't waiting for me to clean up my act. He showed up in the middle of it while I was in sin. He wasn't waiting for a new and improved version of me, and he's not waiting for a new and improved version of you either. I thought I had to provide some part of the salvation but it's not true. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We've read this one before. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not for, this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I thought I had to provide something to my salvation. But I realized that even the faith required was a gift from God. Now, this may seem strange. This may seem strange to you. And... and I promise you that, that in that moment, when, when Jesus showed up in my life, I would love to tell you that it was, that it was me that decided to believe. Like, oh, I'm just going to believe. Like, from now on, I'm going to put my faith, I'm going I'm to make the decision to put my faith in Jesus. It, that's not the way it was for me. In that moment, I, I realized that, that the faith required to connect with God was given to me. I didn't seek out for it. I wasn't like, oh, man, now I'm going to make this decision to follow. Like in that moment, he just showed up in my life. 
He just showed up. He just showed up, and his grace just overtook me. It was no longer about, about performance. And here's the most important thing that changed. The most important thing that changed is that I started to love Jesus for the first time. Now I started loving him. I understood grace. I understood forgiveness. I understood all of these things. And you see, the Apostle Paul understood this as well. And the Apostle Paul, in the verse that we were reading, he was, um, he was illustrating this with a helmet. We have a, I think we have a photo of a, of a helmet there. See that helmet? That's a strong helmet. That is, that is the helmet of a Roman soldier. And he uses this as an illustration that declares that our salvation is secure. You see, the helmet is the thickest, the hardest, the strongest part of the Roman armor. Hey, you can injure your leg, and it's going to hurt. It's not going to kill you. You can injure your arm, it's going to hurt. It's not going to kill you. You can injure your back, and you will survive. But if a sword hits you on the head, and it's unprotected, your life is done, right? You see, in life, you may get injured, relationships may injure you, your health may hurt you, your finances may hurt you, you may have disappointments in your life, anxiety, depression, like all these things may, may hurt you, but as long as you have Jesus, your destiny, your eternal destiny is secure. See, 1 John 5.13 says this, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know that you have eternal life? Or do you feel like you constantly fall short? Do you know that you have eternal life? Or do you feel that your salvation is constantly hanging on a thread? Do you know you have eternal life? Or are you constantly in fear of punishment? You see, maybe you're here and you've been trying to save your own soul in a way with good deeds, with church attendance, with trying hard, with being better, all good things, but you've been trying to earn your salvation, even though maybe you understand the theology behind it, but still like your impulse is try to compensate for that. I want to tell you this morning, very simply, none of that will save you. None of it. None of it. None of it. Only Jesus. You see, putting on the helmet of salvation means this. It means putting your faith in Jesus. That's it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask something in here in this moment as we, as we begin to close. If we, if we could close our eyes here just for a moment and, uh, and uh, just bow our heads here for a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few things and then we're going to pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus. You've never done it before. Maybe you're here and you've realized for the first time that you're a sinner, that you need a savior, that you can't save yourself, and that you believe that Jesus came to save you. Maybe this morning... 
God has shown up in your life right now for the first time and you understand in the deepest of your heart that you are completely forgiven. Not because of what you do or what you fail to do, but because of what Christ has done for you. So I want to ask, if you want to put your faith in Jesus this morning, I just want you to raise your hand and put it right back down. I'm going to pray for you. Amen. 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 Lord God, we thank you this morning for for your word. Thank you, God, that, that we understand that your salvation comes only from you. It does not come from ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that we can know that our salvation is secure, not because of our good deeds. Our good deeds bring us 0% closer to being saved. Zero. It's all on you. I pray, God, that we will get off the performance treadmill and realize that the power of grace and forgiveness is a thousand times more effective for life transformation than fear and punishment ever will be. I thank you, Lord, for these hands that were lifted up today. And we thank you for these moments that we share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.